You're listening to A Week in Wireless by Telecoms.com, the podcast dedicated to everything and anything going on in the telecoms biz. On today's A Week in Wireless, we try to use our brains to figure out how to control AI. We get our heads stuck in the clouds over Google Pixel, and we find out what Europeans love searching about the UK. Hmm, all that and more on today's A Week in Wireless. Do you want to join the argument? Tweet us at Telecoms. Hello and welcome to A Week in Wireless, the podcast brought to you by Telecoms.com. My name is Tim Skinner and joining me today as always is Jamie Davies. Hi there Tim. And our reunion last week was very short-lived because Scott's already off somewhere else entirely. So in his place we have Ian Morris from Sister Sight Light Reading. Hello Ian. Hi Tim. Hi Jamie. How are you today? I'm very well thanks. How are you guys? Very well. It's uh, it's a Friday when we're recording this. Um, Not for our listeners. Sorry it's the start of the week for you guys isn't it? Sorry about that. Uh, but, I mean, I've got a weekend to look forward to. So, um, <laughs> right. So, um, we've had all of us have had pretty busy weeks, respectively. I think we've we've all been out and about doing our bit to represent journalism in the industry. So, yep. um, we'll get onto some of your ventures a little bit later on, Ian, and uh, and and likewise for myself. But we'll start with Jamie, um, and you've been at uh, IP Expo, haven't you, in London? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Down in the Excel. How was it? Yeah, it was good. Do you know what? Actually, a really, really good show. Yeah? Um, Really buzzy. The queues to get into the theatres were absolutely incredible. Wow. Yeah, I mean, there was was quite a few disappointed people. You don't don't usually say that as a good thing when when you're talking about crowds being long and incredible. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I I was all right. I had my press pass. I could sort of nip around the corner, so that wasn't too bad. Perk of the job, isn't it? Um, But yeah, but you you should see it. I mean, the entire day, every single one of the theatres was packed, except when you got to about four o'clock when the beers started coming out, and then, you know, then it it died down a little bit. Mm. So, so not, yeah, but a great show. A lot of attendees at that event, a lot of... uh... Yeah, loads, yeah, loads. I mean, it was. Um, it must have taken over four, maybe five, of the halls over in the Excel. Oh, right, wow. Um, yeah, it's pretty sizable. Packed out, yeah. packed out. Well, I think I went to IP Expo back when I was at Elves Court, and it wasn't a small show then. So I assume it no. must, have, must have grown grown a little bit further if it's taken out multiple halls in yeah. in the Excel. I can't. I can't think of how big the main hall of the the um, uh, the Olympia is now. I've been there for years, but I, th- I imagine. I mean, like. Mm. It was. It ran from N1 through to about N5, that. and it took up every single one of those halls. I mean, that's that's quite a few Ns, but beyond that, it doesn't really mean too much. Yeah. To <laughs> it's a big space. It's a big space. Oh, <laughs> uh, cool. So um, one of the big, the best things that I saw um, you, you gleaned from the show was your article about um, artificial intelligence, one of our sort of regular favourite topics to, to yeah, have on the yeah. show. So... Um, you you had a really good angle in your story, and I'd like you to explain it in a bit of detail for the listener because this was a really really cool story that you put together. Um, what was the gist basically, and what what did you write? So basically, the opening keynote was this chap called um, I can't remember his first name, but his Bostrom, uh, and he was a professor over at the uh, at Oxford University, mm-hmm. and it was the department or the the Human Institute, and he's one of the lead researchers there. Okay, and basically they look at how technology implement uh, sorry impacts humans mm-hmm. in both a positive and a negative way interesting and ai was the subject of this talk right and it was it was a case of how do we control ai um like the the rate of intelligence that we're putting in computers is becoming faster and faster and faster and it's only going to be and they they did some research and admittedly it's a big window but scientists around the world reckon that we're going to have human level of intelligence in computers between 15 and 50 years. So within a generation. Yeah. Now, going yeah. from human level intelligence 
to superhuman or super intelligence, it's just going to accelerate further. So once you get to super level intelligence, that's when you've got the computer, the machine learning facets, starts teaching itself, and then it starts teaching itself to sort of reprogram its parameters. Now, one of the one of the interesting things is there it's not even is vaguely terrifying, is it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, this is Skynet, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a this is a, a paranoid, you know, favourite of the show. We we love having a little bit oh, of a freak out. But he said it's very realistic. I mean, he said, "Oh, that's know, even better." Then you know, <laughs> at the moment, he said it's it's a conversation which is relegated to, you know, sci-fi geeks and sort of comments boards on websites and all that sort of thing. But he said, "Yeah, I mean, machine learning is." machine teaching itself to be more intelligent and to reach it a be- its objectives in a more efficient manner. Mm-hmm. So you've got to have those controls to make sure it stays within the parameters that you've set and it doesn't go back and, proact- and, and sort of retrospectively rewrite it to the parameters so it can do whatever it wants. Right. And the, interesting thi- the most interesting thing I thought about that was a point that he brought up on morality. And it's how do you teach... A computer morals. Um, you know, it has this objective. You, you say, Tim, Ian, mm-hmm. you've got an objective. You know how to meet it. And even if you're going to be a delay, even if you're going to miss the uh, the deadline, you won't do anything immoral or illegal or anything like that. But that's because you've got morals. You've got consciousness. Yeah. A computer will do anything to meet that objective. Sometimes it might be it might be a bit illegal. Um, but you have those perimeters set in place to stop it being illegal. Sure. Once it's got so intelligent that it can go back and rewrite the parameters, what's stopping it to say that this is the absolute be-all and end-all, I have to get to the objective, irrelevant of what course I go? Yeah. And it's how do you teach that morality? I mean, ideally then we want, in reality, the sort of Kazimov's law of robotics, which is the... Uh, you know, a robot not hurting humans. Exactly. Yes, it, yeah. and, and and you see we, this we coming up this with uh, ago, autonomous cars, don't you? As well, the whole issue of if a car has to crash. Yes. There, there are times when a car yeah. can't avoid having a crash, mm. and it sort of has, you have to what make a decision about yeah. what yeah. you're going to crash uh, yeah. into. Actually, so, funny you mentioned that because we did discuss that a couple of months ago on the pod, yeah, didn't yeah. we? Um, when uh, my very brother um, ended up emailing into the show and 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 asked um, when you have to give a car. A decision-making ability: Does it crash into a child? Does it crash into yeah. a wall? Or does it crash into a dog? All of those are horrible choices to make, and so I don't think it was probably the best thing to do that we turned it into a game. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but but at the same time, uh, it is. It's a very 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 prominent question when it comes to programming intelligence. Yeah. You know, what does it do? Yeah. Um, so yes, I mean. It did make me. It did, I was just noting down when you when you were talking about the sort of morality uh, aspect of how to complete a task. You do have a, a bit of a dilemma, which is the efficiency of completing a task yeah. versus the means by which it does it. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean that's ultimately what you've got to back way up, uh, and it's something that we do on a day to day basis without even realising it. And you know we make these decisions subconsciously. But you know how do you how do you define? First of all, how would you define morality? And secondly, how do you translate that into computer language so that the uh, the computer understands and perceives it? And then to go one further, who it's not it's not so much what is morality, who defines morality? You know, my you know, what's the difference between France, Germany, China, and the UK, or the difference between 
uh, Christianity and Islam and Judaism. I mean, who defines it? Mm. Uh, and it's 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 a political minefield. Yeah. It's it's an extremely sort of existential or <laughs> philosophical discussion. Yeah, this one, yeah. I mean, I mean personally, I feel like we should be listening to Dark Side of the Moon in an Amsterdam cafe <laughs> having this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but it is it's a very very relevant discussion and one which seems to be obviously from the fact that this was a keynote at IP Expo, definitely becoming much more um, frequently discussed as a, yeah. as a serious issue. Um, you know, we've joked about it in the past, and there, have been, and, you know, you mentioned Terminator earlier on. It's all very relevant to sci-fi lovers, tech lovers, whatever you want to call it. But at some point in the next generation, it's going to become a real dilemma. Yeah. What about people having feelings for computers? That's, oh, that's even that was... weirder. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, was, there was a film, I think, called Her. Yeah, uh, yeah. A year or so ago. Oh, Phoenix, but this is it? about someone uh, sort of becoming emotionally involved with their, like a Siri-like assistant, which is obviously a lot more sophisticated than Siri is today. But, sure, yeah. Uh, yes. And I think it's, yeah, Joaquin Phoenix, as you say, who's in it. And You could have the same uh, thing. I haven't by... seen the film, I have to say, but it sounds, it sounds, it doesn't sound that far-fetched. You can see this kind of thing happening. I, I mean, mean my, my kids come along and try and have conversations with Siri and get upset when it doesn't answer in the right way. <laughs> will, will adults be doing this when Siri's a bit cleverer? You know? Well, so. yeah. I mean, talking of having a relationship with Siri, you could, you could, you could recreate it just by having it call you baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, baby. What would you like to do today? Uh, not that I or anyone I know has ever done, ever done that. Um, but um, but yeah, it's, it is a very interesting. It is a very interesting discussion and one that I'm sure will will continue to go on. Uh, before we move on, is there any sort of anything else from that keynote that you wanted to to raise, or is that? No, I mean that that was ultimately what he was trying to come across. It was, you know, this is a conversation which is partly ridiculed at the moment mm. but it's something that has to be taken very seriously as yeah. we get to the stage where computers are sort of well basically exceed in our intelligence i think people who aren't in the industry and who don't cover technology the way that we guys do they they just don't think about it that much because it does mm. seem very far-fetched but once you once you learn about what these companies like google and facebook are doing in areas like machine learning, it, it does become quite worrying. Yeah. You can sort of see where it's going very quickly. Well, and once those wheels start turning, yeah. they're only going to start turning quicker and quicker. Um, you know, the way that you were talking about the rate at which yeah. uh, we're developing this and the rate at which it will become more intelligent, it's only going to perpetuate itself. And you've almost got an exponential curve going upwards as yeah. the, the rate at which it becomes smarter. Um, so let's move on, actually, on that note, because Samsung... Um, and Google, as as you mentioned there, Ian, have been doing some some AIE stuff um, over the last week. Uh, Samsung acquired a company called Viv, uh, I believe it is. Um, and Scott wrote this up. So, I mean, if we're going to have to just move straight past this topic like it never happened, <laughs> then we'll do that. Um, so, um, but, but does anybody have any thoughts on sort of um, uh, Samsung's ambitions in this space? I mean, it's got quite a broad consumer electronics range. It would fit quite nicely into sort of a home automation or an IoT sort of sense. Any, any thoughts on, on I, that sort of stuff? I think the only thing about it that is quite interesting is that everyone talks about Siri, and that is the one that everyone uses as, as the example, as the, 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 the technology to match. Mm. And if I'm right in saying this, I think it's Siri engineers that were hired that, uh, that, that sort of started Viv. Yes, I believe so, yeah. So I think it's, it's um, I mean, I'm, I'd, I'd be quite, quite excited to see sort of how Samsung get along with this, actually. I mean, yeah. you know, they've got the markets where, you know, 
is going to be big enough for there's going to be enough uptake for for it to be a useful solution. Um, so yeah, so I, I think it it'll be it'll be interesting mm. to see how they develop it. How much do people use these things? You think? I mean, I know I know I don't use Siri that much. I find it entertaining and. But uh, I'm, I'm still at the stage of going into the web browser and looking things up if I need a bit of information. I don't tend yeah. to sort of go and say, Siri, what was the score in the Blackburn <laughs> Rovers match last night? I'll just kind of go yeah. to the BBC website. But I don't know, maybe younger people are, are using it more. Um, uh, I, I don't. Uh, I know that there are some some people I know who are serious sort of early adopters of tech would like using it for the sake of using it. Yeah. Um, you know, where they can have their phone plugged in and they're laying in bed and they've just remembered to put their alarm on. So they'll say, hey, Siri, can you put my alarm on for me? Um, they don't all sound like American news anchors. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't use it. I, I've heard that it's very good for the visually impaired. Yes. Uh, very useful for people who can't use their phone um, too easily. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but you are right in saying it was the guys who developed Siri, so this is essentially Siri Mark II that Samsung has has, has jumped on. And that all seems to be um, in response to, to Google, sort of, um, well, Scott wrote throwing Samsung under a bus um, <laughs> in, its, in its Pixel launch, um, which is because Pixel is, is um, AI-powered, so I think Google's making um, its AI platform exclusive to its to its own its own phones uh, was it daydream is it daydream that's the google i'm not too sure to be honest um, yeah yeah i think google so platform. um and so let's just very quickly cover off the um the google pixel announcement before we move on to our next our next segment um this was a range of uh, basically premium uh google built android devices um and it seems as though google is trying to really sort of push into that samsung apple previous duopoly and try to make it a Triopoly, <laughs> Ol- oligopoly. Not sure what the word is. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was one of those words. Brad's giving me a real dirty shake of his head. Just like, what are you talking about? Yeah, there it is. Um, and uh, and so Google had one of their kind of um, Apple esque launch events. Uh, although I think they tried to make it a little bit more sort of Silicon Valley and do it in a really white warehouse with a big projector screen and little else uh, and and about 200 Google employees whooping and cheering hashtag cult um, (laughs) for everything that Google said. Uh, (laughs) That's the way producer Brad gets involved in this show, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. He just occasionally holds off a sign that says hashtag cult whenever we talk about (laughs) Apple or Google. Um, (laughs) um, So um, Google, I'm going to read verbatim from Scott's article here. Um, Google says that there are five key things apart from its innate sexiness that make the uh, Pixel special which is Google Assist being built right in. Uh, The company spent a long time talking up how handy its digital assistant is with an extended monologue on how AI will soon free us of thickies from the the burden of having to make decisions or even think for ourselves. Um, (laughs) It's it's like he's here, isn't it? This is brilliant. Um, There's a top camera, quote-unquote, featuring things like HDR+, which make taking good photos really easy, Google Cloud integration featuring unlimited cloud storage for Pixel owners, integrated OTT comms such as Allo and Duo, uh, and VR optimised to play nice with the Daydream VR platform. So apologies for saying Daydream was an AI platform, it was a, it was VR platform. Um, so, uh, they've priced this at um, a similar position to Apple and Samsung phones, so it seems like they're really trying to push into this market, which says a lot about um, 
it's Android customers who it used to serve, who it's now kind of sort of shunting in favour of of moving in sort of its own direction for for handsets and devices and stuff. Um, so yeah, that's all. That's all very interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Um, anybody got any any thoughts on that? It's I realised that was a bit of an extended monologue from me. So. <laughs> no, it's it's just one of those things. I mean, like for me, when Google wants to play in an area. It just does it. I mean, it, it, there's there's very few companies in the world that can dominate a space like uh, sort of Google and Facebook does. Like, uh, you know, mm. they I I mean, what they're doing in India with this sort of like connected, uh, yeah, they're, they're sort of the free Wi-Fi spots absolutely everywhere. Yeah. I mean, we, me and Scott were talking about it a couple of weeks ago. Is mm. this a play not only to get advertising revenues up because everyone will start using Google more? But at the same time, that's an amazing platform to launch their MVNO into an absolutely huge market with a ridiculously wealthy middle class that's growing yeah. very quickly. Yeah, um, well, that's something that I I remember we spoke about it in the office. I think it was last week, Jay, and and when this story came out, and I and I said that I'm surprised that the regulator in India hasn't got involved with this 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 sort of nationwide free Wi-Fi rollout because they stamped all over the um, Facebook initiative, uh, Free Basics, I think it is. Yeah. Um, and they basically went, there's no way you're going to allow sort of free internet access for people who aren't going to buy it. So it does surprise me a little bit that the TRAI, I think it is, have allowed this to go through. They kind of had to, I think, really, um, mainly because of what's going on with Geo. I mean, ultimately, Geo is essential. It's, it's basically giving everything away for free. Mm. Um, so they're not losing anything by allowing... I mean, that's the one thing. I don't know much about the Geo background or how they're taking on Barty Airtel or anything mm. along those lines. But No, Scott's our resident India expert. Yes, in yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the one thing that really surprises me, that they were given such a national licence when every other mm. operator in India has to operate regionally. Um, so I think Google is just following the trend, which was started with Geo mm. a couple of months back. Yeah, yeah. Geo is certainly shaking things up at the moment, isn't it? So, yeah, from what I've, from what so, I've heard, uh, they're just giving it away to. Well, the, the big news from India today, kind of yesterday today, with the auction mm. wrapping up. The or whenever multi, the listeners listening to this, multi-band uh, spectrum auction, which right. raised a lot less than the government was expecting. Oh, um, really? Yeah. Why is that? Well, I think the main uh, reason was that they'd set base prices very high for the lower spectrum bands, and ah. um, a lot of the big operators had said this is this is ridiculous. We don't have an ecosystem for 700 megahertz here, and mm. um, we're, we're not going to bid on those airwaves. So a lot of the spectrum went unsold. I think I think about 60 percent of the spectrum was unsold. In the really? Auction. Yeah. So this finished wow. yesterday. Um, I mean, yeah, India's obviously ahead of us, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, we just put a story up on Light Reading today, actually, just kind of going over the um, over the kind of outcome with with right. you know which players spent the most money. But it was it was way less than wow. than um, authorities had been hoping originally. I mean, actually, before we go to a break, I think we we'll move on to this in a second. But let's keep the spectrum conversation going just yeah. for a moment now. Um, what um, do you think the implications of that would be then? Uh, for the telcos, for the regulator, for the citizens? Well, I think, I mean, the operators, uh, the, the, the thing about India is it's such a competitive market now, and, mm. and they're, the operators are, have all taken on quite a lot of debt. If you look at the balance sheets of these big companies, they're pretty pretty loaded with debt. So, yeah. 
you know, they're, they're interested in rolling out data services and spending money on these networks, but they just weren't prepared to, to pay the prices that the government was, um, you know, was attaching the base prices. So, mm. I mean, I, I guess maybe there could be another auction down the road where the government has to kind of rein in its expectations about what it's <laughs> going to get for these for these airwaves. Yeah. But uh, I think you're going to see a lot of consolidation happening in the Indian market. There's already been some of that um, in the last year. Yeah, um, as we saw, yeah. And I think you're going to see more of that happening. Um, but it's kind of worrying times for the companies there. You, you look at what Geo's done, you know, yeah. as, as, we were, as we were saying, they've come in and, and started offering free voice services and uh, not charging very much for data. And it's it's kind of sort of like Iliad in France, you know, except on a, on a much bigger scale. And um, we yeah. all saw what happened there for a couple of years while the, while the incumbents were sort of reeling with this price war going <laughs> yeah. on. It just doesn't look particularly good for Barty Airtel and Vodafone. And, and so and do you think, um, just quickly, we'll, we'll just make this point um, and, and then um, move on just before we go to the break. Do you think that the entrance of Geo into the market sort of raised the expectations of, of, the, of the regulator who then said, well, if there's more... Uh, players in the market, they're going to be competing more. They're going to want to pay more to get that. Yeah, that possibly. Spectrum. Yeah, I guess they were thinking um, there's there's more competition. We can, pr- you know, that's that's the natural mm. thing. I think, isn't it, that you think if there's you know more guys there driving the prices up, that's how exactly. it generally works. Yeah. But uh, but they, they they were warned about it. I mean, a lot of the players were coming out in the run up saying we can't, we're not going to pay these these base prices are ridiculous. Right. You know, it's just <laughs> so, so they didn't heed the <laughs> yeah, warning. Yeah, and they then, just didn't heed the warnings and, and, and then, then le- left their scratching their heads. Going, yeah, well, so I think what? in a, 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 a like reading story where our correspondent had gone off and spoken to an and young, they were saying, well, you know, we sort of see this coming. It was yeah. not a big surprise, really. So. <laughs> yeah. We told you. We told you. Is that what you want? That's what's going to happen. Um, right. Who, uh, who else has been having a bit of a, a, bit of a whinge uh, this week? Um, three. Yeah, on the um, same issue. On exactly <laughs> the same issue, pretty much, yeah. Um, I think you both, you both yeah, like this? Think, uh, we've covered it a little bit. And, Do you guys yeah. want to fight it to the death to see who gets to <laughs> talk it about it Scott, it was, I, I had a look around it, but it was Scott that wrote it, so, yeah. Yeah, okay. so I'll, I'll hand, ac- hand across to you. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I mean, Scott's probably more up on what's been going on this week, but it seems to be more of a sort of continuation of, uh, of, of arguments that have been happening. Yeah, for, previously for, for, made. Yeah, previously yeah. made. Uh, three, I think... Going back a few weeks, I think spoke to the BBC perhaps or put out a statement saying uh, it thought there should be cap supply yeah. in the next auction. So there's so there's more spectrum coming up for auction in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, Two point three to three point five, I think it is. Okay, yeah, 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 that's yeah. right. Um, you know, so but, so but, I I covered it a couple of weeks ago when I think it was in their half annual yeah um, sort of financial results. Yeah, um, Dave, Dave Dyson is it the CEO of the yeah, UK? Right, yeah, um, said. You know the the allocation of spectrum is unfair. Yeah. You know, no one operator should have more than thirty percent. I think it is because yeah. something. I think B, BT and EE between them have like forty two percent of that's of right. Yeah. The UK spectrum. Um, it's, it's not a surprise. Again, it was. I mean, any time the the Ofcom is going to uh, auction spectrum, these complaints are going to get made because there yeah. is there is a massive imbalance in the market now. I think um, don't they don't they own more than that though? Actually, doesn't. I, I thought that BT was in like the 40s and Thingabob was about a third. So between them, they had about 60 to 70% percent, uh, yeah. of the spectrum. I think, is that right? I'm not sure of the figures. I don't, but, think, uh, I don't think it's that high. I don't think it's that high, but it's they certainly have a massive... I mean, EE was, was very well off. Um, yeah. Because, because it was of, never... Uh, it had to give some spectrum up, I think. Um, this was as part of the Orange uh, yeah, yeah, and exactly. Deutsche Telekom. Uh, uh, yeah, so venture. it came into existence, yeah. obviously, the merger of, 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 of T-Mobile UK and, yeah. and Orange UK, but uh, but it still had a, a lot of spectrum after that mm. deal went through. Yeah. Um, and 
they're, they're very, very well off in some of the spectrum bands. Some of the ones that have been mm. considered to be the most valuable, like 1800 megahertz, which is a sort of multi-purpose band, quite sure. good for coverage, but you can also get the capacity in it. So, mm. so you can see why players like Three, which you know has very little by comparison, are, are kind of. I- pissed off about it well quite yeah yeah, yeah. And, and they're and they're sort of definitely embracing this challenger sort of attitude which is you know something that we we uh, we see quite a lot with our with our favorite ceo john Legere. you know happy, <laughs> happy to shout about it and yeah. we're not going to get into this conversation again we've, i've realized we do this all all the f-ing time we're not doing it again brad's giving me some proper angry gestures at his watch so we're going to go for a break we'll come back uh, right after this We know you love us here at A Week in Wireless, so why don't you follow us on Twitter, tweet us using the hashtag AWIW, let us know what you think, and we'll tell you what we think of you on next week's episode. And welcome back to A Week in Wireless, the podcast brought to you by telecoms.com. Thank you very much indeed for sticking with us, listener. So this part of the show, we are going to talk a little bit about cloud. We've had a few things going on this week. And uh, AT&T and uh, Amazon Web Services have announced that they're going to be making some sweet, sweet cloud. Um, <laughs> you guys, I think, both covered this again. So I'm going to hand over to whoever wants to, uh, to fight for it. And fight! <laughs> <Ding>! <laughs> Can we get a ding? <laughs> I guess it's it's um it's kind of a strange one. Like uh, we've we've been talking over the last couple of weeks of our five G partnership of the day, yeah. And this is kind of it's kind of that sort of thing, isn't yeah. it? Like yeah. with the with the five G side of things, they're all saying, oh, we're going to do some great things in IoT or. Uh, or I don't know any other use case we're, you can think of. We're very excited. Yeah, yeah, we're very yeah. excited, and we're really looking forward to working with each other. And that's essentially what they, this they've done here as well, really, isn't yeah. it? I mean, it's they said we're going to make you more secure, faster, and better, and we're going to do this by having a great partnership. I mean, yeah. I I mean it's yeah. I mean it was. It, I mean it's a significant partnership more than anything else. Two of the two of the biggest players in the it world. It is significant. Yeah. That the yeah. Bringing, but, bringing together these two giants, but uh, the specifics of it, I think, uh, are sort of hard to pin down at the moment. Um, I think, I think, I mean, it's an interesting area, and, and I know yeah. the heavy reading guys, the uh, light readings kind of market research unit, heavy reading has been uh-huh. been all over this kind of issue of, uh, of telcos coming together with web scale internet companies or WIX as they call them, which. Kind of gets kind of gets muddled up with our acronym for women in comms. We need to oh, yes. need to work out a different one. But uh, they've just started using that to describe the likes of Amazon and Google, and ah. uh, they've they've basically produced a massive report. Uh, uh-huh. I think it's just out, but they've been working on this obviously for a, a while now. Yeah. Um, which talks about a lot about these issues uh, about the the sort of you know alliances between uh, telcos and web scale giants, and, and about web scale giants sort of moving into the telco area a lot more. We've seen okay. companies like Facebook doing things on the infrastructure side yep. with the yeah, telecom yeah. infra project. So it's now kind of getting into that whole mobile backhaul area. And, and our um, aforementioned Google. Google, of course, yeah. you know, with, with Google Fiber, but also doing stuff in fixed wireless. And, yeah. and yep. we've got Facebook doing things like satellite, you know, when it doesn't explode on, on takeoff, obviously. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> um, but, they, but they've actually gone out and findings are, but I know that they've gone out there and, and talked to a lot of people and there's some quite interesting yeah. findings about 
IoT in particular. Yeah. Um, sort of hearing that the one thing that executives are saying, uh, and this is a very broad sweep of executives they've, they've spoken to, is that they don't think the web scale giants are in the best position right. to, to, to profit from that opportunity, that the That's telcos are actually... Well, a lot of people have been saying the, the, the opposite. The, opposite that, yeah. Yeah, the telcos are going to find it quite hard to position themselves in IoT. So... Mm. Now, don't ask me the reasons for that. You're going to have to read the reports. Oh, no, no, no. We, uh, we are we are not here uh, to spoil things for the listener. <laughs> so It is quite an interesting one, though, because, I mean, I was, I, I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago, and they were saying, uh, the, what is the role of the telco moving forward? Yeah. And, you know, we're going into a, uh, an era of connectivity, and everything has to be connected. Everything will be yeah. connected. That is is the business case for being the provider of connectivity big enough for telcos mm. and i don't think considering the, the the vast profits that they were used to 10 years ago it's just going to get slowly and slowly more eroded until it becomes utilitized and i, I think yeah. there's going to have to be so if they're more suited to their it world yeah that is a really that could be a really big boost to them actually yeah. i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna mention at this point that we are um we we had a little heavy reading research plug just now, but we're going to plug a bit of research that we've got coming off ourselves, which is uh, <laughs> which is uh, a little look into um, just basically the future of broadband. And one of the things that we're looking at, and one of the things I'm going to be um, I'm going to be presenting alongside one of our partners at Broadband World Forum, is the research we looked into around digital transformation, mm-hmm. uh, which is such a nebulous term. So we're trying to clarify it. Brad gives himself uh, a, a couple of chambers in the side of the head as we as we talked about that one, <laughs> um, but. Um, but yeah, and we and we did ask that question of how do telcos see themselves sitting in the future, um, in this future sort of digital IoT sort of paradigm, I suppose you'd say. I just I hate using the word, um, and and it was quite interesting trying to find the operator perspective on where they're going to stand, whether that simple connectivity, you know, being a little bit more than just a dumb pipe in air quotes, uh, or if they're going to be at the very epicenter of this completely sort of digital world. Um, it was interesting seeing some of the operator attitudes. So um, no, no spoiler alerts or anything like that. Just uh, you know that'll be coming up pretty soon as well. So, so a couple of things for people to look out for. Um, let's let's move on to uh, something that you've been up to this week, Ian. You're yeah. out. You're out an event. Um, uh, so what was your an event of sorts? Yeah. What was your uh, tale? It was it was an Adtran event, and it was mm-hmm. pretty small actually. Um, yeah. Adtrans Connector Mia. I think they lasted it a couple of years ago. Oh uh, yes, I was at that one a couple right, of years ago. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, interesting, interesting company, mm-hmm. and um, you know, obviously, um, has a role in in broadband and, and mm-hmm. um, the technologies that, that we're sort of seeing yeah. uh, taking hold now. Um, so I assume this was a very sort of fixed deep sort of very G sort of fastish. G fast was was one of the main subjects, indeed. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, I mean that, quite a bit that of topic itself just makes my brain melt. So yeah, let's yeah. let's a bit not of an odd term G fast. I don't know where that comes from. Is it G fast or G dot fast? There's yeah, a dot in there. Yeah. Uh, well, they 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 say G dot fast. Ronan Kelly at, at Adtran says G dot oh, yeah. fast. But I've always just said G fast. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, anyway, it's the, yeah, that's a technology that basically you know seeps up the copper line, mm. so um, extends well, the frequency range, so you get higher speed connectivity. But it's never never worked very well over long loops. Yeah, um, it's, it's becoming a lot more capable. This is the thing. Yeah. There's a lot of changes that are happening now, which will in principle allow operators to use it over much longer yeah. distances so instead of, of of using it from a distribution point that was you know close to a home yeah. you can actually start doing it from street cabinets yes. and this is what BT okay. wants to do well I was about to bring yeah. that onto the BT yeah. discussion because that's essentially at the middle of a lot of the gripes that, that some of the operators have against BT some yes. of the internet providers that's is true, that yeah. BT yeah. supposedly have this over-reliance on copper infrastructure yeah. um, now presumably Adtran are all for it 
since they're shipping this gear. Yeah. Um, did I mean, that come up at all during during your your event um, that you were at? Um, I mean, there was a, there was discussion on that topic. We they they brought along a regulatory expert, actually, a guy from a company called Tellarge, which is a, a consulting firm. Uh, to talk about you know the the implications of the of the new EC framework for okay. for broadband technologies that are being used, and he was saying that it's it's driving operators towards a much kind of narrower range of of technologies. Yeah. Um, so essentially, the European Commission sort of frowns on some of these solutions that we see operators deploying at the moment, like vectoring, which is another one that kind of improves uh-huh. the capability of the copper line. Yeah. Uh, and then and then Ronan Kelly, who's the CTO of uh, of Adtran, said. Um, yeah, GFAST, as deployed from the cabinet, is basically not going to measure up as far as the EC is concerned. So Interesting. Now, I guess BT might not care very much about this as uh, uh, over the next couple of years. Mm. You know, we're not going to be in the EU anyway. But um, fair point. But um, you know, for operators that are, are using it in other markets, yeah. um, it, it, it sounds it sounds like it's something that would really concern the GFAST community that this sort of cabinet-based deployment is something that. Uh, that, that, that regulators are trying to sort of drive operators yeah, uh, away, away from. from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and now the interesting thing is that there's not a lot of companies apart from BT, as far as I can see, that have really kind of um, talked about this a lot, um, doing no, it from the No, cabinet. I mean, it you, definitely you, seems to be the biggest cheerleader. Yeah, you, you, we've yeah. heard Swisscom, I think, and, and uh, Telecom Austria talking about it, but mm. uh, and, and Deutsche Telekom's mentioned it a few times, but not in that right. kind of the cabinet sort of deployed GFAST sense. It's very much, I mean, Swisscom very much talking about using it from um, manholes that are much yeah. closer to customer homes. So the kind of distribution <laughs> point scenario. Wow. So, yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, and that, that, that's kind of the gist of what most of the discussion was, mm. was about at the Adtran event. So, um, okay. yeah, good to get a catch up on what's happening there with that technology, which is obviously, you know, a lot of attention on that in the UK. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Nice one. Um, okay, so we got a, we got a, a couple more a couple more stories then before we before we finish the show. Jamie, do you fancy giving us a quick summary of uh, Yahoo being a bit naughty? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is something I covered this morning, and um, I think it was. I mean, I covered it broader in the terms of there's been a lot of rumours going around the industry mm. at the moment, um, and the big rumour. I'll start with Yahoo, and then we'll move on. But obviously, sure. like Yahoo. The, the shareholders they've had a woeful time in recent years <laughs> and then they had you know a bit of a bit of positive news that Verizon was going to be buying it earlier this year yeah and then since the acquisition has been uh, completed they've been put through the ringer yet again yeah um, and it looks like the most recent scandal uh, where we have some foreign intelligence agency forcing Yahoo to uh, to monitor certain certain email addresses, I think it was, mm-hmm. or certain accounts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the uh, I can't remember what his name is now. Tim Armstrong, um, okay. the guy who's in, tra- uh, in charge of all of Verizon's uh, content yes. business. Yeah. He's turned around. Formerly known as AOL. Maybe yes, still currently yeah. known well, as AOL. Well, it's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. AOL. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, he just turned around and said, uh, "Knock a bill off the off the asking price, and we're happy." A billion, yeah. a billion. Just yes. yeah. so down to about three point eight. Is that right? Yeah, three point yeah. eight. They were. Yeah. Brad, Brad, just, just <laughs> yeah, I can just drop a billion. Yeah, just, <laughs> just you know, that's fine. Just knock a bill off it, and we'll call it evens. You know, <laughs> yeah, you didn't tell us about you know half a million 
uh, email addresses go and listen. Yeah. Um, to be perfectly honest, I reckon Tim Armstrong was pretty surprised that Yahoo had half a million customers in the first place. I, mean, <laughs> I so. think we all are surprised <laughs> yeah. that Yahoo has that many customers. The, the, the dates, dates back a couple of years, doesn't it? This, yes, this hack yeah, that yeah. It was supposed to have been 2014. 2014. So it's, it's sort of, there's quite, yeah. quite a lot of. Uh, well, I don't know what the story is really there, but um, you know, I mean, it's two, for me, two years while we're just finding out about it now. You know? For me, it's it's either it's one of two things. It's either Yahoo being a bit sinister, or Yahoo being a bit incompetent. Yeah. Or Yahoo security engineers being a bit incompetent. Yeah. And I don't know which one's worse, really. Yeah. Um, you know. Mm. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, um, sinister. You can be smart and sinister, but if you're incompetent, then you're just you know. yeah, you're just incompetent. <laughs> then you're just a bumbling <laughs> idiot. Yeah. Uh, in fact, actually, at that point, Brad just raised up quite a funny sign, which says Yahoo. Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> damn. But, um, yeah, go on. But that was, I mean, that was the big rumor uh, that kicked off today. But then there's another one where you're talking about Snapchat IPO in potentially in March next year uh, for. For twenty billion, a uh, twenty-five billion dollars, apparently. That's a ridiculous lot. valuation. I know. For an internet company. It's, yeah, yeah. But I mean, but I mean, it, it has a very dedicated, loyal, and growing user base among twelve-year-olds. Uh, not well. You know, we we can laugh and say twelve-year-olds, but it's a key demographic. Is that sort of fifteen to thirties of people who are going to be customers in the next 20, 30 years? Yeah. But the drop-off after you get to like mid twenties must be substantial. Um, I oh, reckon. I yes, don't, you would, yeah. yeah. And then the key advertising demographic for 90% of brands is the 25 to 40-year-old demographic. It's slightly more affluent. Yeah. I think one of the yeah. interesting things is, is how these kids are going to behave when they get older. Um, there Would was a, a lot of talk about this at IBC, yeah. the, the broadcasting conference that I went yeah. to in Amsterdam a few weeks ago. can't remember when it was now, but... Uh, <laughs> But the guys there were saying that it's very hard in the, in the TV business and the video business with all these over-the-top players coming along now and yeah. habits changing. It's sort of hard to know whether behaviours. You know, we talk about millennials. Are mm. they going to become? Are they going to become not millennials? If you see what I mean? As they get older, are they going to start yep. doing yeah, things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're going to become a in bit more that we familiar. Do, we do them, or yeah. our parents do them, or are they going to carry, carry on, on going. with it? With but the, then you can't take that risk. Yeah. You, don't, you don't know. I mean, yeah. we're, we're at. We're at a stage. I mean, at the conference I was at this week, and I, in fact, I will use that as a segue to get onto what I was, what I was going to discuss in a second. Um, but at the conference I was at, they were saying, you know, we're, we're talking about digital like it's something in the future. No, it's now. It's happening already. Yeah. And we need to be servicing these these eighteen year olds who have some money to spend, uh, whether they're you know going to university and they're getting their first bit of money for themselves for the first time, or they're going straight out into work. And they and they're having to pay their own bills. They're going to get their own services. You know, these guys are already problems for us. People that yeah. you know, customers that we need to serve in a new way that we haven't done before. I think before we move on, just mm. uh, just one more point I wanted to raise about the Snapchat thing, and I think it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like people have likened, you know, um, that is worth twenty five billion because WhatsApp is worth nineteen billion, and and LinkedIn yeah. was worth twenty six billion. But at the same time, you've got Facebook and Microsoft buying data, whereas an IPO, you've got investors buying dividends mm. um, you know it's not buying data to enhance your products they're buying revenues yeah. and I think TechCrunch got their hands on a leaked document um, earlier this year that showed um, that 
the the revenues for Snapchat over 2016 was going to be worth something in the region of 250 million to 350 million. Mm. Now, annual revenues of that amount, I don't care how fast you grow, mm. how you can IPO for 25 billion yeah. off a quarter of a billion pound revenue a year Fair. is absolutely absurd. Yeah, yeah. no, that's a very well, that's they're, a they're very, like very footballers, aren't they? Yes, yes, uh, exactly. Companies are, are like, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, right. Okay. So actually, I've got a really, a really convenient um, segue into uh, into this part. Uh, talking about the demographics just now. Uh, I was over in Berlin this week. Um, I'll keep this whole thing relatively swift because we've only got about five minutes left. Uh, and and Brad is really starting to get a bit. You know, just come on, speed it up now. Um, so I was in Berlin this week and I was at a conference hosted by Amdocs. Fantastic conference. I'm not just saying that because I was flown out there on, on, on a press junket. Uh, it was because it was genuinely <laughs> unlike other conferences. It was very entertaining. Uh, they had a, uh, a sort of an internationally sort of recognised sort of magician, mentalist, entertainer who hosted the whole event. Excellent stuff. Uh, but for me, the personal highlight was um, the lead singer of Iron Maiden, Bruce Dickinson, uh, giving a closing keynote. Now, not what you expect. Not at uh, all what you'd conference. expect. And so I, so, <laughs> so I was, I, I, I mean, I really like Iron Maiden. If Scott was here, he'd enthuse over how much he loves Iron Maiden. Shows how old we are. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Actually, do you know what? That that I'm going to dispute that based on one of the things he said. He said our biggest demographic, and he hates using the word, but it's true, is the 15 to 30 year olds. Well, and he said, do you know why? Because and I'm going to quote him verbatim. Because standing in the middle of a muddy field for a week to see Iron Maiden perform is not something 58 year olds do, <laughs> because they die. <laughs> he said there'll be a few of them standing next to the beer tent, but not too far from the toilets. <laughs> um, and he said that in this demographic, he said kids nowadays are pretty smart. So when you go to your, so when they go to your website and it says please enter your details here. They say, hello, my name is Reginald Off, and my email is off at hotmail.com. There's some big data in action for you. Um, and, and it was a brilliant speak. Excellent. He talks about a lot of the lessons he's learned through his various business ventures. For listeners who don't know much about him, he's not just the front man of, of you know, world-class rock band Iron Maiden. He is a commercially trained pilot. Right. He's, he's a fencing instructor. If I'm going back to the I, piloting... I knew about the fencing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, going back to the piloting thing, actually, he, he flies the Iron Maiden jet around the right. world, the branded Iron Maiden <laughs> Boeing 747 around the world. So the other band members have to keep him sober at... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, and also he's, uh, his love of sort of aviation has led to him uh, being one of the co-founders of Air Djibouti, which sounds pretty niche, but as he informed us during this... Uh, during his presentation is one of the um, most important. In fact, I think he said the single largest business and trading gateway in in sort of East Africa going into the Middle East. Yeah. Um, really? So the yeah, so the positioning significance because it's basically just across the pond from Yemen, yeah. which is one of the gateways through the Gulf into into that part of the world, uh, an area into which sort of China has been pouring billions of of dollars for uh, development of airports and things like that. Um, so, you know, this is a very astute businessman who gave this this speech at the end, just basically saying, look, don't ever uh, underestimate your audience. Do what you have to do to serve them. And whenever you have a spark of creativity, run with it and run with these ideas because you need to run with them. Yeah. Um, and so that was brilliant. But then I also had my, my mind carved out by some mentalist 
on on stage. He he dragged me up during a performance uh, on on Wednesday evening last week, um, and and somehow managed to predict everything I was about to do for about five minutes and then <laughs> and then publicly disclosed my pin number for my credit cards to the audience oh, um, that's what you want. and yeah well after <laughs> after completely just freaking me out for a few minutes as I was walking off stage he uh, he said oh and by the way your pin number is 56 uh, and I was like oh you're an alien and I just sat back down again I was like I can't I can't I can't deal with this right now um, so yeah so anyway that was a really good event over over in Berlin so thanks very much to uh, to the guys at Amdocs and at Hotwire for sorting that out um, just before we close I'm going to play a little quick game with you guys if I can find my uh, my prompt sheet um, which is our little quirk of the week moment and, um, and basically um, the uh, the viewpoints and the search uh, terms used by Europeans uh, to understand more about Brits and the UK. Okay. So this is brilliant. Um, so this this uh, this firm basically pulled together uh, cumulative search results to find out what the most inquired terms were for for the UK, a particularly relevant uh, um, point at the moment, given we're going through Brexit and everything. So I think a lot of Europeans are trying to figure out what we're about. So uh, I'm going to play a little game where I'm going to read out the uh, the quote, and if you can guess me what country... It's okay. from the most searched terms. Uh, let's go for one. Um, why are the British so ugly? Yeah. French. That's, that's the French. No, actually, it's uh, the Dutch. The Dutch. Oh. The Dutch, yeah. They're bloody I know. hideous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just before we went on air, <laughs> just before we went on air, producer Brad said he was waiting for Jamie to slip up and say something incredibly. <laughs> <That's the> censoring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we've just got we'll it. Put this on air again um, in the Netherlands. <laughs> um, okay. Um, there's one search term. It's not even a question. The English are strange. French. No, are we going to say French for everything? Yeah, <laughs> I go with like the Greek or like, oh, the Russians. It's got to be the Russians. No, no, actually, it was the it was the lovely Spanish people oh, really? who said the English are strange. Yeah, um, but they're used to everyone coming over and just basically shitting on Magaluf for a week, aren't they? So, <laughs> <laughs> well, Jamie's on fire. He's just cut loose for the last couple of minutes of the show. Damn. Okay, right. Uh, let's have a good one. Um, is is England a country or a city? God, I, I'd say that's America, I, I, but no, it is no, no. Europe. It's, it's isn't Europe. It? I'm gonna, I'm gonna narrow it down a little bit. It is one of the countries in Europe which is made up of sort of multiple different countries. I suppose you'd say different sort of languages. Um, language, a different. Oh, do you know what? I might, I might be Europe? wrong. Actually, I might be completely somewhere wrong. in Eastern Europe. Is it? No, is it's it not. Like... It's, uh, it's Austria. Austria. Oh, right. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, And finally, um, why are the English crybabies? It's still not France, Brad. Italians? No, no. That's no. Italians interestingly interestingly asked, why are the British dirty? Mm. Not why are the British bad at football? (laughs) Bloody bloody Italians. Uh, So we're going to go, why are the English crybabies? Uh, I'm just going to put it out there. They have a footballer known for crying a bit. No. Uh, Russia. No. Uh, Portugal. Yeah, there yeah. it is. Yeah, it's Portugal. Uh, okay, so so yeah, apparently we, we don't really give out the best impression to the rest of Europe. <laughs> uh, interestingly, the Germans asked, why are the British so stupid? Uh, Do the, you know what? If there's one country that you take that from, it is the Germans, really. It is the Germans. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. We've had the Czechs just stating Englishmen are sailors. 
Okay. Um, and and um, the Greeks just stating English is a Greek dialect. So that's probably just some historical, yeah. you know, keeping hold of the past sort of thing going on there. Um, yeah, and that's... Oh, actually, no, here's a good one. Irish people are asking, what do Scottish people look like? <laughs> Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, that's a really good note. Uh, you know, good good point to end it. So, uh, thanks very much for listening to Weekend Wireless. Um, join the argument on Twitter. Uh, use the hashtag awiw if you've got any uh, outrageously stereotypical statements to make about other other parts of Europe. Then then feel free to tweet them in, and we'll see if they're appropriate enough to uh, get Jamie to read them out on air. <laughs> um, so, my name is Tim Skinner. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Say goodbye, Jamie Davies. Thanks, Tim. And say goodbye, Ian Morris. Thanks, Tim. Goodbye for now, guys. Bye. Thanks very much for joining us. This has been a Weekend Wireless, the podcast brought to you by telecoms.com, covering everything and anything in the telecoms industry. If you want to join the argument, tweet us at telecoms. Share your thoughts. We'll see you again next week. Same place, same time, same people, but even better.